All right, you guys, so here's the deal. This is probably the, uh, one of the two most important messages that I give in a year, right? Because Easter and Christmas, those are the two, right? People pretty much walk in and they know exactly what you're going to be talking about, right? You know that the, the subject, what it's going to be um, for Christmas, right? It's going to be Jesus born in a manger, right? And you know that today we're going to be talking about Jesus and the resurrection. Is that true? And so when we think about that and when, I, when you kind of put your mind to it, it's one of those things that, that preachers sometimes get a little bit nervous about and they kind of struggle with it because how can you tell the same story that people have heard year over year over year in such a way that is interesting, in such a way that brings um, some sort of a thought? Now, see, I love Easter and, and I think... With Easter, it's one of those things that if we didn't really understand the story, if we didn't really understand the whole, whole premise behind it, that means that we really don't understand the reason why we gather as a church in the first place. The reason this church exists and other churches just like it is because of the resurrection of Jesus. Easter points to the answer to what I think is probably the most important question that you will ever ever be asked. It's the most important question that I, that I believe it's, it's the one that everything else hinges on. And that's, that's the question that we talked about last week. Who is Jesus? Now, maybe you have asked that question, answered that question, and you answered that question long ago saying that you believe that Jesus was the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins. And it's because of what he's done that you have life eternal with, the, with our heavenly father. And to that, I applaud. But for some of us in here, that question, when it was asked, we became skeptical. And we said, you know what? I'm going to step back just a little bit from this thing because I don't know that what I'm hearing or what I'm reading is absolutely true. Now, some, of, some people have walked away from church, and if, and if that's you in the room today, I just want to encourage you to, to kind of put down some of, those, uh, some of those things, those defenses, and really just lean in and, and ask yourself, is what we are talking about today plausible? Or better yet, is it absolutely true? See, the resurrection is the cornerstone of what we talk about here in this church and any other church across the world. Because the resurrection is what convinced those first century followers, the ones that were right there when Jesus had, was doing his ministry, when Jesus was put on the cross, and when Jesus died and was put in the tomb. These first century followers were the ones that had to be convinced because they were right there. They had to become convinced that Jesus was Messiah, that he was the son of God, that he was absolutely God in a body. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the time that Jesus spent talking by the sea or going in the plains or talking to people from town to town. It wasn't the miracles that did it. It was the resurrection. The resurrection was the whole reason that people said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. We don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells us so. It's so much better than that. It is so, so much better than that. And it's way more substantial than that. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because of people like Matthew. 
Matthew was a first century follower who documented his time with Jesus, and he documented the truth of the resurrection. We, we believe because of people like Mark. Mark, who was a Greek friend of Peter, and he concluded that Peter's story was true that what he had heard from Peter's lips was true, that Jesus had truly risen from the dead. We believe because of people like Luke. Luke, who was a doctor, he was Greek, he traveled around the, the Mediterranean rim with Paul, and he encountered so many people who had seen the risen Jesus. In fact, he was so convinced of it, he decided it was a good idea to write it down. Now, we talked about this last week. We pulled this scripture up, Luke chapter 1. Luke, he's writing to his friend, he said, inasmuch as many, not just one or two, but many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those that, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered these words to us, I, it seemed good to me also, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely, for some time past, it seemed good to me to write an absolutely orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Paul thought it was so, or Luke thought it was so important to write these things down so that his friend Theophilus could be certain that what he had heard from others was true. For people like Peter, we know Peter, right? He wrote two letters in the New Testament, but he's also the one that would charge in and take control and do all kinds of things. He's also the one that denied Christ three times. Peter's the one that was the first to say, you know, not me, yes me, go ahead, don't wait, whatever it is, right? And Peter, he believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, James, James is probably one of my most favorite ones because I have a brother. Anyone in here have a brother? Yeah. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was God? Now, I think maybe my brother tried to convince me of that, but it didn't take. So James believes after the resurrection. James comes to faith in understanding that Jesus is truly the Son of God after the resurrection, and he believed it so much that James was stoned for his belief. How many of you would get stoned by, for believing that your brother was the Messiah? And this was all, you guys, this, every bit of this was all before the B-I-B-L-E, before what you hold in your hands or you scroll on your phone. It was before all of those things that these people, all these men, Paul, they documented, they kept track, they, they made sure that these letters were protected, collected, and put together, combined. They memorized them. They kept them close and near to their hearts. And it wasn't because it was a good story. It's not because it was a, a story that just sounded like a pretty good narrative that would make a good movie someday. The story of Jesus is not worth telling or documenting apart from the resurrection. Because otherwise, the story of Jesus would just be a footnote, an absolute blip in history. Another story of another heretic rabbi 
And these accounts, as we read through the scriptures, they're written with honesty. They're written with this, this openness about, about what was going on because they, they didn't write themselves in as the heroes of the stories. And I was thinking about it. You know, when I tell a story and no one else is around to corroborate, right? And no one else is, is, is going to be like, uh, I don't know that's how it happened. Do you, do you have the same tendency as I do to kind of make yourself seem a little bit less scared or a little bit more sure or the fish was not this, it was this. No, it was this and it just got away, right? We tend to write our stories and make ourselves the heroes, but not in the accounts that we find in the scriptures. Because here's the thing, these guys, all of these people that wrote down these letters, they expected Jesus to do exactly what dead people do. Stay dead. Nobody expected nobody. No one was planning on a big reveal. It wasn't like they had this bus pulled in front of the tomb and they're like, okay, you guys ready? Okay, let's get the lighting just right. Let's, okay, cue the music. Okay, how about a little bit of fog across the front here? Okay, now cue the sun. Now roll the stone. No one was there trying to catch the perfect moment. Because nobody was expecting there to be nobody because you can't crucify Messiah. People like John, writing the account that we're going to look at today, John witnessed the whole thing. He witnessed it from the beginning. He, he walked with Jesus. He went through the countryside with him. And he didn't expect the crucifixion. He didn't expect the resurrection. John expected a king. He expected a king because they had just watched Jesus do something absolutely astounding. His friend Lazarus had been dead, not just kind of dead, but really dead. They had had the funeral. Lazarus hadn't been dead just for a few hours. They'd already had that funeral. And as a result of what happened, as a result of watching Lazarus come out of that grave, as a result of, of hearing all the great things that Jesus had done, many believed, many people followed, and many people placed their faith in Jesus. And Jesus gained attention. He gained so much attention. The crowds were not just small crowds. They were multitudes. They were hundreds, if not thousands of people. And the problem with all of this was, it's fine if people want to follow and watch this guy do some magic tricks and talk about some really um, nice ideas. But it began to tip the tables away from the leaders of the religious uh, leaders of the day. And so they found themselves absolutely beside themselves. And so last week we talked about Palm Sunday. It's the, the week leading up, to, uh, leading up to Passover. And we, we talked about the triumphal entry where Jesus came into town. He came down the hill into Jerusalem and there was fanfare and people were celebrating, singing, saying, Hosanna. And those people were expecting a coronation of a king. So, <clears throat> so with the Holy Week events, they're watching Jesus go do some amazing things. He's flipping tables. He's doing all kinds of things. They, they want to see what this guy's going to do next. And they can't wait for him to declare himself king. So as they're going and they're sitting, taking the last supper, which they didn't know was the last supper, they were just celebrating the feast of Passover with Jesus in the room. And Jesus, the one that hopefully would declare himself as king and establish this new rule, this man 
girded himself with a towel and washed their feet and they were confused. That's not the action of a king. And while they're having this meal, Jesus announces something that he is establishing a brand new covenant. And this covenant is not one like any other that they had experienced. This covenant was not just one person with another. It was with the entire world. And this covenant reached the entire world. And it was not just anything. It was not just put in in one way. It was covered in his blood. This covenant was in his blood. Because covenants get pretty complicated party of the first part does this for party of the second part. If you don't do this, then party of the first part gets, the part gets this part of the party of the second part. And they're watching and they're going, oh my goodness, there's a new covenant. This new covenant, though, it wasn't complicated. This new covenant wasn't complicated at all. It was really, really simple. Said, so this covenant's going to be in my blood. My body will be broken. My blood will be spilled out. And here's the conditions. Jesus gave them a brand new command. That they would love each other the way that he had loved them. The new command was that love each other the way that I have loved you. And all of this brings us to the next day and a demonstration of love that we're still talking about today. So turn with me in John chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 16. So he delivered him over to be crucified. This is Pilate. Pilate had said, listen, I, there's an option here. There's this known sinner, this known criminal, and I can crucify him or this man who I can't find any fault with. We can do that one. So let's do this one. And Pilate finally just washed his hands of the whole thing. He said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. So he delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there's no details in what is taking place here because it's not necessary because everybody in John's audience knew and had seen firsthand that cru a crucifixion. John says they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And, and I gotta, gotta say, there's, this is unneeded detail, but this is detail that unless it was true, would be easy to discount. And so the detail that we find in the letters written in what we call our New Testament, there's so much detail, there's so much in there that we need to understand that it has to be true. Jesus said it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. John writes at this time something pretty significant, but most of the time when we're reading, we kind of sail past because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But here's what John said. He who saw it, he's talking about himself, has borne witness his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. John in that moment was thinking as he was writing, there is an opportunity for me to reach out across the years, across the centuries even, 
and say something to the people who will be reading this, this letter because what has happened will be changing the world. He wrote to you and to me, and he tells us everything that I've written here is true so that you can believe. John says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was Jesus' disciple, but secretly for fear of the Jews. He specifically names people. There's so much detail in this. He asked Pilate, Joseph asked Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Now, you may not know this, but crucified bodies aren't buried. They're just tossed on a pile. Unless you bribe someone. Unless you say this person is sub- something, some, someone special. So Joseph of Arimathea made a deal with Pilate. He said, listen, I, I want the body of, of, my, of my rabbi, Jesus, because I want to take him and I want to give him a proper burial, which is unheard of because you don't do that with people who are crucified. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds of it in weight. And so what we're finding here is there's so much detail. There's so many things that, but here's the thing. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, all the disciples, they expected the absolute same thing, that dead people stay dead. So they took the body of Jesus, and they bound it in cloths, and they wrapped him in, in cloth and in spices. Now, John, thinking that there possibly may be someone who doesn't know this, that hopefully doesn't know the Jewish customs, he says, this was the burial custom of the Jews. Now, John says, in the place where they had placed where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb where no one had yet been laid. So it was a clean, hewn tomb. No other things in there. They they wrapped Jesus, they laid him in there. And so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they had laid Jesus there. Because there were so many rules about the Sabbath. You could only travel so far, you could only do so much, and otherwise it was called work. And it was a day about not about working. And so they wrapped Jesus, they placed him there to come back and finish the job after the Sabbath. The Sabbath was coming, the sun was about to set. And it was unlawful for them to do any of these things after the Sabbath begins. So the disciples, they disappear into the city. We know that John and Peter and and all the others that go into the city, we don't know what they did that night. I'm sure a lot of it was kind of recounting in their mind, what are we going to do? I mean, this didn't end the way that we thought it was going to end. I wonder if I can get my job back. I mean, fishermen, that's not hard. Tax collecting, nobody wants that job. So on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came she came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, and she saw that the tomb, the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, she ran out and went to Simon and the other disciple. And she said to them, they've taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. 
listen, you guys, I, I showed up there. And I went there, I was expecting to see the Roman soldier, you know, I brought, I brought him some scones. And, and so anyway, I was going to say hi and say, hey, would you mind rolling this stone so we can finish the job? Because uh, we really want to honor our rabbi. But, you know, I went there and the stone was rolled away and I don't know what to do. She assumes that any, what anyone else would assume. She assumes that, it, that not that there was a resurrection. She didn't assume that there was some amazing event that happened. She just assumed the body had been stolen. So Peter went with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb because here's the deal. Listen, it was Mary, it was early. I mean, she probably had a little bit of sleep in her eye. Maybe she just kind of looked at the wrong tomb. We need to go check this out because, you know, sometimes Mary gets a little excited about things and, you know, it's better if we guys go and check this thing out. So they go to check out this thing. So both of them take off running because they're like, if this has happened, what are we going to do? Because we want to honor our rabbi and we need to know what is going on here. So both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now this is John and he's saying, listen, I don't know if you know anything about Peter, but I beat him. (laughs) John was probably recounting this with a little bit of a chuckle the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Now, if, if, if I were writing this story, not only would I have beaten Peter, but I'd have gone in and surveyed the situation and made sure that everything was just so and then reported back to others, you know, five minutes later when Peter finally got there. But John says, I stooped and looked in because I didn't know what was going on. There's so much honesty in that. I was kind of scared to to go into a dark tomb where there's a dead body, right? Then Simon Peter came, following him. He didn't stop, he just went straight into the tomb. We were like, that's Peter. Peter doesn't have breaks. Uh, Peter came and he walked right in because that's exactly what Peter would do. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And then they saw the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head with the linens, but it was folded up and it was placed by itself. It was the strangest thing, you know. Uh, it's, it's not as though somebody who would come in and steal a body would take the time to unwrap the body and put, the, put everything just so and to wrap the face cloth in another spot and just put it there nice and neatly. It's not like somebody that would come in and steal a body would be very careful about what kind of evidence was left behind. But what they saw changed them, and eventually it changed the entire world because everything that they knew about the world had changed. Then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, right? He made it there first. He just wants to let you know that he got there first, okay? He went in, and he saw it, and he believed because this was the moment This is the moment where John put all of these things together. 
all of the time that they'd spent listening to Jesus around uh, the campfires and, and walking through the country places and, and, and sitting on the seaside and, and watch him in the boat and, and all of these things, everything came together and it changed everything. Absolutely everything for John changed. Everything that Jesus taught, everything that he did, everything was true. His mercy his grace. He was, he is the great I am. The ancient of days stepped down to wear my sin and to bear my shame. John, in recounting this, pinned at Jesus as the light of the world, that he had done exactly what he had said. There was no two ways about it. Jesus had done and, and done exactly what he said he would do. Not everybody was there. Not everybody was available at the moment. I mean, who wants to go visit a tomb the next day? Not very many people. Now, Thomas... We all know Thomas because we call him Doubting Thomas, right? He's one of the 12. And he, <clears throat> he's called the twin, but he was not with them when Jesus came. So as they're talking about what's going on, Thomas was left thinking about what had happened. Maybe he went back to his hometown. Maybe he sat down and talked with his friends and said, you know what, I don't know what was going on. I thought everything was going to be great. I thought everything was, th this was where everything was going to change. And he heard what was being said around the area. People were saying that the story wasn't over. That, in fact, this story that we thought was ending right here, it turns out it just is beginning. And this story is a story that is worth telling to the entire world. Because they would see Jesus and they would have conversations with him. Jesus would interact with people, with crowds, and he would talk with them. He would interact with them. And this truly would say, signal that this is the beginning of something new. The other disciples said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas is not about to chase a rumor. He's not about to say, you know what, I'm going to waste more time on a story if I don't believe it's worth telling. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. Listen, guys, good story. I don't believe it. I love you guys, but I'm not going to spend the rest of my life telling somebody something that I don't believe is true. You ever been there? And who can blame him? Eight days, eight days later, the disciples were inside again, talking, figuring out what does this thing mean? And Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, Tommy, Put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand. Place it in my side. 
Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus looks at Thomas and says, Thomas, it's me. You can reach out, you can touch for yourself. Don't spend another minute in disbelief. Believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas says, I believe that you are the great I am. I believe that you are my God. And Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, you've believed. Have you believed this because you've seen me? I tell you, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In that moment, Jesus is speaking of you and of me. Through the ages, he's saying, blessed are you, Thomas, because you believe because you see. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. Blessed are the future generations. Blessed are you because you believe the account of John, of Mark, of Peter, of Paul. Blessed are you because you read their letters, you read their account, and you believe and you've not seen. John, as he finishes out his letter, he says, Jesus did so many other signs in the presence of the disciples. He said, listen, there, there, there are so many things that I didn't write down. They're not written in this book. But John closes with this understanding that he wants us to believe. He wants us to know that what he had written was true. And he says, but these things that I've written, all of these things that I've written in this letter are written for one purpose, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I think John, in effect, was saying, listen, if this letter is the only thing that you ever read, it is enough. It is enough for you to know that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus changed absolutely everything. John tells us that Jesus is written, risen, and that fact changes absolutely everything. That morning, when they went out to the tomb and it was, the stone was rolled away, it changed absolutely everything. It was no longer an ending, but a beginning that never ends. It authenticated a promise that was given so long ago. It authenticated the promise of Abraham's seed that Abraham would have descendants as numerous as, as stars in the sky, sand on the seashore, that Jesus was the one through his blood, through his sacrifice, gave us the right to be called children of the God most high. Jesus authenticated the promise that was given to Abraham because he was buried and he was raised to life. A roaring lion declared out of the silence that death no longer has hold, no longer has claim on you or on me. John wrote it this way. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever, that's you, that's me, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John says, I want you to believe. I want you to trust. I want you to trust in Jesus so that you can have life, and not just any sort of life, but have life that is full, life that is eternal. And I want you to know that today, whether you accept it or not, you're here for a reason. Whether you accept this as truth or not, you are here for a reason. Yes, you're here with your family. And yes, you're here for a meal later. And you may be here because mom said if you didn't come, well, you know. You're here. We're here because the account of Jesus, the things written about Jesus are true. That Jesus is risen and that changes absolutely everything. If I have one plea for you today, it's this. Don't walk out the door without being sure that you believe in the truth of what John said and what Mark said and what Matthew and Luke said, that you believe because these guys that had watched Jesus do all of his ministry, they'd watched him do all of the things that, that we read and we go, that is unbelievable. And they said, you can believe it because it's true. Because we watched it, we thought it was over. We thought a dead guy was gonna stay dead, but he didn't. He rose, and not only did he rise, he got up, he walked, he ate, he talked, he, he spent time with us. He, re, he restored Peter, the one who denied him three times. He restored him. He said, not only, Peter, are you going to proclaim me, you are going to be the one that will lead my church here. Jesus changed absolutely everything for me, and he can do it for you, too. So I don't want you to walk out this door without really wrestling to the ground. Who is Jesus to you? I believe, and many in here believe the same thing, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he took on our sin, the things that we have done that are an offense to God, the things that God says have to be satisfied by my wrath, and my wrath can only be satisfied by the shedding of blood. Jesus took on our sin, took on the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. And it's through that sacrifice of Jesus that we lay claim to a life that is full, a life that is eternal because Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus rose. He rose. He rose victoriously, and he didn't rise just for a moment. He rose for all eternity. He rose so that we know that there is power over death and that we will be with God in heaven when that day comes. You have an opportunity to accept that today. And it's, it's, there's no magic formula. The only thing is that you need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that he did exactly, he did exactly what he came to do. That Jesus bore our sin. He redeemed us by his blood. And his resurrection is evidence of the power 
the absolute power of God. It's only through Christ that you can be with God forever. And you can accept that today. And I don't want you to walk out with doing that. So we're going to get up here in just a second. We're going to sing and I'm going to pray. And what I want you to do, if that is you, if you're unsure, I want you to make today that day that you decide. Either I believe that Jesus is or he isn't. That what John wrote was true or it's not. Because the truth, your answer, well, it changes absolutely everything. Would you pray with me?